Welcome back to the Track Quest Podcast. James Orr here and my good buddy, Bob the Bowhunter Borland. What's going on, Bob? Not much, James. How you doing, buddy? And I'm pumped up. It's 2018. Yes, it is. It's a new year. It's a new hunting season. New things to plan out. Uh, what 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 do you got? What, what's what's 2018 looking like? What are you thinking? Oh man, I don't know. I got I got a lot of irons in the fire. We'll see what happens. Um, it's hard when you apply for all the states. I got a lot of points all over. So the first one to apply for is Arizona. So so how does that work? Uh, you, you you have to apply for Arizona in January or I mean yeah. what is that? Uh, the deadline's I think February thirteenth or something. So yeah, you gotta buy a hunting license every year to keep your points. They kinda nab you on that. That's gone up and up and up over the years and and you know, once you once you've applied long enough you can't stop. So I have I think I have seventeen deer points and uh twelve elk points and brother and I are probably going to cash in our elk points this year. We drew a unit back in 05. It's kind of, it's not one of the premier units, but an easier to draw unit. I think we had five or six points then. And, and now the hard to draw ones are getting so hard to draw that I don't, you know, minus luck, which I don't have a lot of probably never catch up. So we might just cash them in, go back down there. We know the area already. And, and they given out a lot less cow tags than when we hunted it. There's kind of a cow hunt at the same time, and made for a lot of a lot of people in the woods. So there'll be a lot less people. It might be better, and so I'm trying to decide on whether we want to do that. So you're going to drop 12 points on a hunt that's only takes six or seven, or yeah, something like that. But you kind of get in that no man's land where right, you know, it's like, do you wait another eight years and hope to? draw one of the good ones or just go for it now and then, you know, be able to, cause I have enough. If I do Arizona this year, next year I can draw my Oregon tag. I'll be at like 17 or 18 there. And then after that, I'll be up to almost 20 in Nevada and, and I'll be up to like 15 in Utah. And so anyway, I just keep, I can start kind of rolling. Hopefully if I, if it all works out, you know? Yeah. You might as well cash these points out. Why, uh, you think he can still climb these big mountains. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and uh Arizona's season's kinda like ours. It the dates roll forward and back, you know, depending on the calendar year. And this year's another later later year it goes to like the twenty seventh. So uh yeah. Should be good year to have it. I think the year we had it might have closed a little earlier if I remember right. And should have some good rutting activity a little later. So would you still hunt Oregon or would you be all in on an Arizona elk hunt? No, I'd still hunt Oregon or, um, I don't know. I might, <laughs> lot to plan. I might still apply for Nevada and stuff because their season closes the 15th. So I could go from, you know, from there to Arizona. But if, if yeah. I don't, if I just apply for Arizona, if I'm guaranteed to draw it and then I'll, I'll probably just do that and I don't know, probably hunt Oregon again. 
Yeah, because uh, you you don't want to have Arizona and Nevada the same year. I, I don't I don't think that would be. I mean, you're you're still young enough that you'd want to spread those out a little bit. I don't know. Sounds like a good year to me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. Nevada. I the pro- here's the it. problem. This is what my dad always told me and my brother. Like, you idiots, you're gonna draw. All these tags in one year. He's told us that for 15 years, 18 years, and it never happens. So the the planning, unless it's a you know guaranteed preference point state like Nevada, you're never guaranteed, man. You give out, it's a random draw. It's yeah. they square your points, so the more points you have, the better chance. But you're still not guaranteed if you have 30 points. So yeah, I so- could and and they only give out. I think like if I remember right, archery non-resident elk tags trying to remember the numbers they don't give out very many i mean they give out about as many desert sheep tags as they do elk tags so your odds of drawing are terrible even with 17 points so so it's not like oregon where you get up into the max point pool you you, what they do is uh if you have 10 points you get put into the bucket 10 times is that right no you get put in they'd square it so they, you know, if you have five points, five times five is twenty-five plus the year you apply. So you get twenty-six uh, chances in there. Whereas, it, whereas in the guy with one point just gets one. Follow me. So okay. your All your right. odds get a lot better. But then you start before that go hunting stuff came out. I used to try to figure out the odds myself. You know, I'd look at how many guys applied with X amount of points, and I'd do the math. So they had, you know, they had ten. They were in there a hundred and you know whatever times. And this guy, and you start doing the at you know, thousands and thousands of chances in there and you have a hundred, you know, or, or five, it still doesn't really help you, you know, because everybody else's chances go up too. So, so that's the problem with states like that is, you know, you, you hope to get lucky, but you could literally apply every year for 20 years and not draw the tag, even with 15 points. So, um, you got to kind of go for it when you can. And uh, I don't know, there's, they have this new thing in Arizona called like point guard or something. So I could, if I did draw both of them, I could turn my tag back in in Arizona and get all my points back. Oh, okay. So now, can you share your points in Arizona like you can in Oregon? Like if you and your brother had fifteen points apiece, thirty points, and you're put in for a hunt that only takes five, and you have those extra points, could you take your wife or your hunting buddy or whatever and 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 get them a tag too, or does it not work that way? No, it works the same way. They, uh, okay. it's it's not necessarily sharing. They, they average them or whatever, right? So, right, you know, right. Uh, but, the I only mean, state carry, I think the you only can state carry, you can carry somebody. Yeah, the only points. state that doesn't do that, I think, to my knowledge, is Colorado. Colorado, oh. if you have fifteen points and you apply for somebody with in a party with somebody that only has two points, you're going into that draw with two points. So, okay, I think that's the only state that does it, but. Don't quote me on that. Could and I think wrong. it's is it is it New Mexico and Idaho the only states that don't do a, some f- form of bonus point or preference point system? Yep. Yep. Yeah. So that's. I mean, anymore that's almost. I don't know. All of them are hard to draw anymore, but it's nice that they have a few of those states. So you got a chance, you know. I yeah. think I think they thought the preference points would be a good plan back in the day, and they were until. You have so many people applying that, you know, you figure if you have a thousand people applying for, you know, a tag where they only, some of these tags, they only give out, especially when you start looking at archery hunts, 
you know, early archery hunts or the, the good archery hunts, Nevada, even a Nevada deer, average archery hunt, Nevada deer, they'd only give out a few tags in most of those units, non-resident, maybe one or two. And I run into that a lot with me and my dad, and my brother, you know, we like to go hunt together and there's only a couple units in Nevada we can even apply for because a lot of them, they only give out two non-resident tags. Well, if you have 50 people applying for those two tags, you see what I'm saying? It's right. It's, and, and I, I think Idaho's going through a situation where there's some folks in their state that want to go to a preference part point system and, and a big uh, fraction of people who don't, and they're kind of trying to figure out um, what, you know, what direction they're going to head in. But I, I think that it seems like it, it only really, um, it only really helps the guys that got in at the the beginning of time, you know, when it began. And, and, and then that guarantees that once in your lifetime, you're going to get to hunt that unit one time. Yeah. Uh, where uh, the system that they have now, you may never get it, but you could get it three or four times in a lifetime. It's just luck of the draw. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. I don't which know. I kind of like, which I like, but I, I don't have any uh, points. I don't, I don't have a dog. I don't have a dog <laughs> well, in the fight. Yeah, they just. That's another thing. They just changed. Another reason I think we're going to cash in Arizona points is they just changed. Yeah. Uh, how they're doing theirs too? They changed it. They're giving out um, more random tags than the guaranteed well, the, tags. They, I think Arizona, if I remember hearing right, they were giving ten percent of their tags to non-residents, and now it's five percent. Um. Yeah, something like that. It could be wrong I, in the percentage. I, I don't remember 20%. all of it. No, it, it's it's five or ten. I can't remember. I think it's ten, yeah. but it's it's an up to ten percent thing now or something. But but yeah, the big change for me was the the amount of random tags and bonus point tags. You know, like they give right. out some in random, which means everybody's pool. Like we do a seventy five percent preference point, twenty five percent goes into random. So like you drew your antelope tag this year in that random pool you know the odds are terrible of drawing it but you got lucky as heck you drew it well they still had that in arizona in a lot of the units um or but they they made it to where now i think it's half and half so like half the tags are random and half go where it used to be 80 20 i think if i remember i'm not 100 percent sure on this sure um read up on it and and then Wyoming's like that too. Like you put them for Wyoming, and there's like a draw for the non-residents, and then there's like a special draw for the yeah. non-residents that you have to pay like thousand dollars extra for or something. Yeah. yeah, it's man, it's complicated. It's like yeah, I, I've been doing it forever, and I still, I mean, I subscribe to that Epic Outdoors that Jason Carter runs, and I used to, we, me and my, that's what got us started was back in the day. He was at the Sportsman Show with his dad, I think, here in Portland, and like. 97 i don't know it was a long time ago it used to be like a little paper magazine you know and uh then we that's when we kind of started so that kind of runs you down every month before the draws you know reminds you which one's coming out what's what's changed and all that stuff and i and i also do the go hunt thing i do a lot of research on there just uh statistics and maps and all that stuff so yeah it's it's a full-time job just trying to figure all that crap out anymore not yeah, like the good old days. Yeah, I'm pretty pretty much just uh, content hunting Oregon, but I do have some a- ambitions to go out. Um, I know, now does Alaska do preference point system? Um, 
I don't think they do points either. I think they don't do points yeah. either. I'm not 100% sure on that. But you have no. to apply for there like December 15th, I think, was the deadline. And 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 you, and you can apply like three years in advance or something weird. Yeah, I don't know. I From my take on the Alaska stuff, from what I know, which is not much, but from what I've heard, I guess I should say, is uh, most of the hunts you apply for there aren't necessarily because they're away you know, better hunt. It's more to control the people because they're closer right. to town. They're more accessible. So you can, you know, if you want to go moose hunting, and I've heard some stories of guys going up there drawing a moose tag, thinking it was going to be great, and it it wasn't a very good moose hunt. They could have done better just getting a plane and flying somewhere. It was just they have to limit some of those areas because they're more accessible. Otherwise, they'd be overrun with people. And and I think the sheep hunts it helps with trophy quality. Some of those the chugach and all that, like. Like there's some good sheep hunts you can draw, but you draw a sheep tag, you still got to pay twenty grand to have an outfitter take you, which is unaffordable for right. So you have myself. to use an outfitter for sheep and goats and grizzly bears, brown and bears, grizzly bears and brown bears. What about moose? Oh, you can go by yourself moose hunting, caribou, black tailed deer, black tailed deer, black. Yeah. Deer. yeah so and, and some of that is over the counter too. Yeah. Yep. But I heard the downside to Alaska is they just doubled their tag prices yeah i think it was last year yeah um but i think they hadn't increased them in like 20 years or something yeah, crazy yeah. so yeah well yeah alaska's high on my list for those sick of black deer i really want to get up there and hunt them kind of you know i would like to try the raspberry islands and kodiak and prince of wells i kind of would like to try them everywhere eventually yeah but yeah. i'm a black tail nut so that's 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 that uh, yeah, for me, I I'm I kind of got uh, into going over to Eastern Oregon and trying out the wilderness hunting and backpack hunting for the Rocky Mountain elk, and I I had a lot of fun doing that last year, but I kind of missed uh, hunting the as crazy as it sounds the the Oregon coast these uh big brush monster bulls these Roosevelts, and I think I'm gonna go ahead and. You know, I, I kind of relied on my scouting that I've done over the last 10, 12 years. And I think I'm going to re-scout some new spots this spring that I've been really interested in in the summer. And I'm going to really hit the Roosevelt's hard and, and you know, uh, enjoy hunting close to home for these elk. You know, it's it's kind of crazy to drive past a ton of elk to go hunt other elk. So that's kind of my my focus this year is to put some time into the Roosevelt woods and try to capitalize there. And I think it's the the way Oregon works. We start on the last Saturday of August. And so this will be like the earliest start of a bow season in six or seven years. And it'll end early. Yeah. And and that'll reset in 2019. And so I'm looking at a, a... a season starting, I don't know what it is. It's like the pretty 22nd early. or something, I think, or 23rd yeah, pretty, of August. Yeah, and so I'm I'm really thinking about sitting in a tree stand the first couple days of season on some, on some hot wallows because um, they're really slamming them that, that time. They're, the herd dynamics hasn't really uh formed yet and they're really hitting those wallows hard in august and i think if there's any if there's ever an opportunity to to kill a a, a big roosevelt bull in a wallow it would be 
the first couple days of this year's season. So I'm kind of thinking that as my as my go-to tactic uh, for the beginning of season. You know, they're not really bugling real heavy at that point, and so I, I think I'm going to sit some tree stand. Yeah, I think that'd be pretty effective down there for sure. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking, and. And then there's always, if I can get that elk tag uh, uh, notched, uh, maybe some mule deer hunting in September. Um, so that's kind of kind of what I'm I'm leaning towards. So, <laughs> yeah, that's actually, the that's the bad thing about applying for all the tags is, for me, I don't really know what I'm doing until June. You know, like for real, like it's just they're spread out over some three months right. of time applying for them all. And I like knowing what I'm doing, you know, like, okay, I get it. I'm doing this. I can start scouting. I can start doing that. So who knows where I'll end up. We'll see. And I apply like you, I'm sure I apply for, uh, Rocky mountain goats and bighorn sheep, which are like once in a lifetime, like never going to happen opportunities, but you never know. Yeah. Every year I know someone that draws one of those, like yeah. every year a friend or a friend of a friend, lands one of those tags and so is even as rare as they are and so you know you always kind of have your fingers crossed and you you hope like you know i i drew that antelope tag in the 25 percent pool and i've all i'm kind of optimistic and you know i'm always like am i gonna get an antelope tag or a bighorn or a goat or a deer tag that i have no business in in, in drawing yet like I, I always got my fingers crossed yeah you know okay I'm due for sure. It's going to happen. I, it's like redneck Christmas, all the tag draws for me, man. It's like, yeah, I get so excited. I'm checking the computer, checking all the websites, the, like the second the results drop, you know, like it, it's good stuff. Hopefully, hopefully we'll get some good tags this year. And speaking yeah. of uh, being a new year, uh, our guest we got on here today, I got to spend some time with him up in uh, Whitetail Camp this year, Benji Hill. He's an absolute stud. You guys will really like this one. He's a health, nutrition, fitness trainer. So I know a lot of guys out there, New Year's resolutions. Let's get in shape this year, drawing a sheep tag, right? So we go over a bunch of that with Benji. Yeah, I'm super excited to have met, uh, or I haven't met Benji yet, but just been talking to him on the phone the last couple days. Um, he's a big, uh, advocate for the ketogenic diet and that's kind of been on my bucket list. I've been, I've been doing the paleo diet for two years now and I've been kind of wanting to take it to the next, uh, you know, the next level per se. And, um, I'm gonna, I, I'm keto. I've started the keto diet, uh, yesterday, uh, January 1st for my, uh, new year's resolution and I talked to Benji on the phone, and I'm pretty jacked up on it. I'm doing some intermittent fasting, and I'm basically the, the how that looks different um, is I've cut out all the sugar in my diet, I, from even from fruit sources um, to I mean I'm looking at like the hot sauce bottle. I mean anywhere <laughs> where 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 there's sugar, you know, no more kombucha, which is sad for me. Uh, making some changes because I want to see what um, this uh, you know ketosis is all about and becoming a fat burner and and getting off of the glucose and and you know for guys that don't know anything about it you can Google it there's a ton of information on the internet about it 
Um, and I'm going to be following up with Benji. We kind of talk about it for a few minutes in this podcast and we'll probably bring him back on and I'm going to be bugging the heck out of this guy. Uh, hopefully that that's all right. Um, he's super, a super cool guy and, and, you know, he's kind of, uh, inspired me to do this. So I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah. He's, that's a good word for Benji. He's very inspiring. He's full of life. Uh, yes. He also is uh, super into pack goats. He just bought a business, Idaho Goat Pro. I think he rents them out. Uh, he lives over there in central Idaho. Uh, just a just a stand up guy and a hunt machine. We get we do for those guys that don't want to just hear about diet the whole time. We do hear some epic stories from Benji. Hilarious. So thank yeah. you guys. Will really like this one. Yeah, and you can find him on Instagram on Idaho Goat Pro. Um, what's he got like six or seven goats and he, he'll rent these goats out to you. So if you're in Idaho and you want to go on a high country adventure, um, you can get a hold of Benji and he's got the trailers and he gets you all set up and shows you how to live with these goats and you take the goats and they will, uh, they can pack your gear in and help pack your, uh, meat out. And there's some really cool videos of him just like hanging out in camp with his goats. And <laughs> it looks like a lot of fun. It's yeah. Really and nice. it's, and to correct ourselves, it's Goat Pro Idaho, not Idaho oh. Goat Pro. So Goat Pro Idaho goat, on goat Instagram. Pro Idaho yeah. On Instagram. Yeah. So yeah, get, definitely check that out. And, um, what he was in camp with you guys for on, on your guys's, uh, whitetail hunt for three or four days. Uh, he was there longer than that. I think he left. A couple days early is all. Um, he stayed a little bit longer. <laughs> called work. Said he wasn't coming back. Yeah. So it was a it was a blast, man. Super super fun yeah. guy to have in camp for sure. And, f- and for you primitive guys, uh, yeah. he's on the primitive uh, kick right now, and you'll hear more about that from him. He's totally into the whole primitive archery thing, which is you know next level stuff. Also, this guy's a next level guy. <laughs> yeah. For for sure. And just a, a pleasure to talk to. So I hope you guys enjoy it. And um, yeah, Benji Hill. So Benji, uh, maybe for the guys listening that don't know know you, maybe you can kind of give us a little rundown of what you do for a living and how you got started in traditional bow hunting. Well, um, I was randomly, I was a California kid and I wanted to move out of California and we came on an accidental vacation to Idaho. So that basically saved my life. <laughs> um, that's kind of how this really all starts. Because I'm supposed to really hang with my, you know, core group of family in California. And after we didn't go to Squaw Valley and we ended up in Sun Valley, uh, we all, my, me and my brother and sister were adamant that we were moving from the city and moving to Sun Valley, where I live here in uh, Ketchum, Idaho now. So that was basically the turning point and uh, a life of river adventures and hunting and learning to hunt. Um, I wasn't born into it. My dad started us when we were like 10 and we would go out and try and go grouse hunting. And we didn't know where the grouse were. We just walked around and looked for them in trees and bushes and, you know, no one knew what we were doing. So we just figured this stuff out. Uh, city slickers, not wanting to live in the city anymore. So we had a hell of a good time and lived in our trans van and We'd go get stuck trying to go duck hunting or, you know, trying to find upland birds with our dog who had no idea how to hunt. And <laughs> dang, if we haven't figured it out over the last couple of decades and are fairly diesel to where, where we're, we're eating it all the time now. So 
That's awesome, uh, man. How, that's kind how, of it. How, yeah, that's that's the history right there. How old are you? I'm 43. I just had to write it down on paper to make sure I could remember it. <laughs> Coffee and and you moved out to Idaho. Did you say when you were when you were 12 or 10? Um, 10. My birthday was that fall. Yeah. So that's 30 whatever 33 years of okay just trying to become more of a woodsman and uh not be anything at all like a city folk Copy. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome <laughs> yeah so i guess i mean that's kind of a derail story but really i i was everyone i know and and uh grew up with lived in california my whole family except for our little finger lives down there in san diego area and my brother still moved back there so i kind of definitely i'm um, grateful to have moved to Idaho and, and got the upbringing I did. I just always wanted to live near rivers and, you know, we figured out this bow hunting thing just because of challenge. Um, I think that's why we're all here to, tonight is, uh, you know, we wanted the ultimate challenge and, you know, after I shot a deer with a gun and shot one with a, you know, a compound at some point, I just, just thought that was too easy and didn't feel right. So the natural progression, you know, by the time I was in college, uh, my buddy Billy Lewis, who's, who's a very active member of Montana traditional bow hunters, just made fun of me and just was like, God, that wheel bow is just so noisy, man. Why don't you shoot that longbow you have? And sure enough, I got that longbow back out of the closet and never gone back since. So that was when I was like 20, 21 in uh, college in Montana. So I'm not as, uh, as seasoned as some of these guys you've had on the show here, but I haven't wavered in uh, a good 20 some years since that, since that fitful day on the uh, Montana state prison where I switched back to my longbow. <laughs> so you said you started with a, with the longbow. When did you start going? I know on this hunt where I was with you, you're going all the way, man. I mean, you're, you had a self bow, <laughs> you had some, some river cane arrows or ocean spray or something. You had uh stone points. I mean, the whole, the whole nine yards. When did you start going that direction? Well, um, you know, I don't know. I just, uh, I love the bows. You know, I think we all appreciate how beautiful they are and how functional they are. And, uh, I think it was about this year, maybe three, four years ago, I found a local boyer in Boise, uh, Tom Turgeon, Boise Bows and Arrows, and just started befriending him, and he showed me how to make some bamboo-backed um, bows, and I've made a few of those. And then, of course, the next progression is I saw Clay's video, and I wanted to make those Osage bows. So Clay and I kind of became friends, uh, uh, Clay Hayes, that way, and he hooked me up with a lot of staves when he had a lot and uh, gave me a lot of advice. and. I think uh, a lot of these guys, too, have read these traditional Boyer um, 1, 2, 3, and 4. So I have that whole kit. I learned a lot from there. And uh, Bill McConnell, a dual survival guy out of Bozeman, I've built a hickory bow with him and a lot of uh, primitive arrows, and he's taught me to flint maps. So it's been fun. It's just a journey. You just kind of keep learning skills, and uh, it just keeps getting cooler. Yeah. So it's, it sounds like seeking out some mentors really helped you in the progression going to the primitive route. Yeah, exactly. You got to be uh, active in trying to find these people and you might learn one or two things from each. Um, some you'll learn more from and connect with more than others. Um, but uh, yeah, it's hard to imagine going primitive without like guys like Ryan Gill, 
and Bill McConnell, who sent me pictures of stuff with stone points and homemade bows that are just epic looking and not want to, you know, challenge yourself to that level as well and be proficient too, not just, you know, shoot a bunch of arrows, but make it really count. And, and, uh, I don't know, that's, I think that's the ultimate challenge is getting yeah. really close and using it primitive a gear as possible. Yeah. And like you said, how cool those bows look. Um, I've told the story on the podcast once before, but I'll tell the quick short version of it. I was at an event with my, uh, traditional archers of Oregon event. And, uh, the first time I met Carson Brown, he had walked in and Carson comes strutting in with, a some leather, you know, arm guard and a self bow and, you know, wood arrows and i was staring at this guy and my wife was like what are you staring at that guy for you know he's gonna see you staring at him she's like you got a man crush on him and i looked at her and i said i think i do (laughs) (laughs) hey you're an honest guy i appreciate that (laughs) i think i do i'm like do you see what he's shooting she's like what what's like it was a traditional archery event but he was you know full had the primitive setup and i was like oh man that is there's nothing cooler than that i gotta meet this guy Oh yeah. Uh, and I'm the same. Anybody I run into with any sort of homemade stuff for sure, but even down to some of the more modern traditional, it's all cool in its own right. But, oh. but it's just so much more alive than, than a synthetic bow or a synthetic arrow launching device or whatever you want to call them. So. When, I, when I was shooting compound, every time I would see a picture, uh, a grip and grin or whatever, a dead animal with a hunter with them, and it had a longbow mm-hmm. or, or a recurve in the picture, I was always like, I'm not worthy. I, I've got to try that. Like, I always recognized it as uh, something more difficult, the next level. You know, I always recognize it as the next yeah. level. It is, and it's still challenging. If it wasn't, um, I probably wouldn't be so addicted to it. But now the, the, the amount of pressure we're all seeing in the woods, you know, elk and deer and and whatever else the uh the amount of people that are into bow hunting and then going to traditional slash primitive the uh, ante's just gone up and i feed off of that i don't mind uh i wouldn't mind seeing less people but i like really earning it you know and if i gotta eat roadkill like we just loaded an elk up in the <laughs> shop tonight a nice calf that was just this morning hey i'll eat roadkill because that's what our ancestors would have done you know they wouldn't have wasted that and how many how many guys that hunt with you know modern gear went by that uh, that elk before they they realized that that was a tasty piece of meat right there? <laughs> so you I were thought. actually loading up roadkill. I texted him earlier today. Yeah. I was like, "Hey, you he still on?" He's like, "Yep, <laughs> just hanging some roadkill." <laughs> well, dude, I won't lie. I mean, I I got no uh, no ability, uh, no 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 shame in hiding that I've been hunting primitive, and that shot I took on this late hunt at sub. Uh, six, seven yards was my first primitive stone point, homemade everything shot. And two straight primitive for two years on, I took one year off and went back to my uh, glass longbow and got an elk. And then I went back to primitive and now that was my first shot. So it's humbling, you know, it takes a lot, lot more to get that whole program to fly. And, you know, it's kind of humbling. So I've eaten roadkill, a lot of roadkill, (laughs) I think the last two years and, Hey, man. that Idaho has the laws that they have, so we can take that stuff. Yeah, we, we presently are waiting for that law to change. I think they've passed it to change in a year from now, but they haven't set up the guidelines for that. So at this point, I've watched a few bucks mm. get hit, and I'm sitting there looking at backstraps uh, still kicking on the side of the road sure. going, man, why can't I pick that up? 
it's a shame because I got four sinews. I got two backstrap sinews. I got brains for my hide. I got a perfect hide. And I'm not even going to really need the meat. I'm going to give it to my buddies that, uh, you know, need the meat. But I get all the primitive tackle right there, you know. So it's, it's a real score if you're going to use the whole animal. Yeah, that's yeah. one of the coolest things about being in camp with you guys. You know, like nothing gets wasted, man. They're they're into it. So the animal goes down and they're just frothing at the mouth, like, oh man, look at all this. You know, where we're just like, sweet, we got some meat, you know. And uh, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah that's, the, that's very cool. I'm, I'm learning to it. I'm not there yet. I'm gonna try and boil these hooves down and get some glue out of that. I haven't done that yet. And, oh, cool. You know, there's just so much you can do from this. I'm totally still a novice. I plan the next decade will be really cool and, and building more sinew bows, rawhide bows, just everything, short, long, you know, experimenting with all of it and finding, like we all want, our own, our own pace and our own level of, of proficiency that we like. You know, I don't know if this is my ultimate path or, you know, if I end up with the atlatl in five years. So we'll see. Uh, so sounds cool. like an ex- an extensive trad quest that you're on, for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the most extensive. So I guess <laughs> um, the other thing I derailed there for sure is uh, is where we're probably going to go with some of this too. Is that I've been in the gym. I'm a personal trainer, but I think more of a life coach now. I would say um, than just I don't just stand there and count. I don't just stand there and do the same workouts with people. That's too mundane. But uh, we do a lot of, uh, you know, from kids to I have a 96-year-old guy I train, Jack Walsh, uh, comes in, sees me every summer. We, uh, we try and improve our lives and our habits in our lives and set goals and try and achieve them with whatever we're into. So that's kind of the training that I do for a living when I'm not packing with my goats. So. Yeah, he even brought a kettlebell to camp. He he doesn't mess around, and he had a log a log roller in the tent, so you don't take yeah, any breaks. I, uh, that's for hey, sure. I hope. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, no I'd like to. to. Yeah, I'd like to. I'd like to uh, dig into every single aspect of that uh, one at a time. So wherever wherever you want to start. Yeah. Well, what do you think? Um, I've been, you know, I'm not tech savvy. This is literally the first podcast I've listened to since <laughs> I talked. Bob, I had to download the thing and do it all. I have an iPhone, but I don't like using it, and I don't like being on it because everybody I see in my gym is on it all day. So, yeah. so, so I try yeah. not to be on it. Yeah. So me, me and Bob, it were uh, neither of us had had social media accounts. Uh, <laughs> we never played with smartphones. We didn't have computers. Uh, we, yeah. we started this podcast thing, and uh, we had to. <laughs> Yeah, had to get high tech in, in a low tech, or we're low tech in a high tech world, I guess, and uh, it's been a learning curve awesome. for us. Big time. Yeah, so Good. well, I don't feel so bad then. I mean, I'm just literally this is I listened to the last five or six podcasts, Clay Carson, all the guys I know, and I'm just loving them on my way to work. I learn something every day. So um, I'm hearing certain certain similarities in the podcast, you know, about this aging population and our drive being so high to be in the backcountry and push ourselves. But the things that are going to limit us that I see from my job perspective is right off uh, nutrition. You know, people don't consider nutrition what it really can be. And eating real food is drug-like. It's hormonal, it's recovery, it's anti-inflammation. And if you choose to address that younger, perhaps, than waiting till you're in your 60s or 70s, 
the better your chances of having these uh, these later years really feel good and be able to push yourself to the backcountry. And that's what I see uh, people doing in the gym that are taking care of that aspect. And people who aren't, they're falling apart and the joint replacements are taking over and everyone thinks you're going to need two hips and two knees and two shoulders by the time you're 60 if you go hard. And it's because I think they're deficient nutritionally and a lot of times they're just overusing their bodies in incorrect ways. So... Um, I don't think that we should really be worried about not shooting bows into our later years as long as we take care of our shoulder health and our nutrition and then shoot bows that we can shoot effectively. So um, I think that's something to consider for our audience and, and for, for all of us that want to hunt into the new realms. I mean, I'd love to be slinging a stick bow into the 80s and 90s and, and having people just eyes pop out of their heads when they see some withered old dude sitting up at 13,000 feet with a, uh, you know, a nice <laughs> buck or a nice doe and a stone pointed arrow and just happy to be cooking it over a fire. Yeah, uh, yeah, man. A- aim into that brother. Uh, um, so, so yeah, I- I'd love to dive into that. It's something we really haven't, we haven't discussed on the podcast, but it's something I'm definitely passionate about. Um, January 1st is coming up on us and that marks, mm-hmm. uh, two years for me, uh, uh, eating clean. And I, awesome. I just, I made a decision. I'm, I'm kind of OCD and I made the decision, uh, uh, two years ago, uh, on Christmas day actually. And I kind of, you know, waited till the January 1st mark that I was going to, uh, try to uh, really uh, get into diet and exercise because I had got on the scale Christmas day and looked down and saw 265 pounds in front of me. And I'm six foot Ooh, tall, yeah. and, and I realized I just bought a pair of 40-inch pants, and I realized that uh, my passion for elk hunting was deteriorating. Uh, that season, I'd heard some bugles in the bottom of few canyons, and I pretended like I didn't, decided not to go after after you know hunting many days starting to you know let my let my body uh make the decision and not my heart or my mind and and so i i made that uh decision and um i uh seeked out uh i guess what you'd call a paleo uh listic style of diet where i eat meat and vegetables and eggs and nuts and seeds and um, yep. it was a, it was a life changer for me. I, I, I figured out like I was sick all the time cause I was extremely uh, allergic to dairy products and I was yep. eating them all the time. And so getting off of dairy, I, you know, I think I was, la- I'm lactose intolerant plus I'm allergic to casein. So it mm-hmm. was, it was killing me slowly, but surely. That is, Dude, you are, you are totally the model that I'm talking about. I mean, you're healthy enough to be out there and enjoying it, but your years are going to come at you really fast if you don't dump weight and get on. I think paleo diet is pretty much great for almost everybody. I haven't seen too many people not thrive on that. And then you have to micromanage whether you can do the dairy. If you can do raw dairy, if you can do grass-fed dairy, if you can do dairy at all, you know, or what type of proteins you respond well to. Not everyone can eat a ton of red meat. Some people are going to need to eat more chicken and fish and turkey and stuff like that. But uh, I completely agree. And obviously it's working for you, huh? You feeling better? Yeah, I've lost uh, right at 70, 75 pounds. Um, <laughs> and awesome. uh, I did uh, I did 
I do a lot of uh, mountain biking and I do a little bit of running and a lot of hiking and swimming. Golfing. And I did whatever. <laughs> Hot tubbing. Uh, I, I went golfing yesterday for the first time in ever and I, I hurt my ankle doing so. so that, but I'll, I'll, I'll leave golfing. Golfing to, is dangerous. Yeah, golfing is dangerous. Stay away from that. Uh, no golfing. Yeah, but no, I. It, I feel I feel like I feel like I'm 20 again. I feel amazing. My hunting seasons, I've been able to just go and do what I want, when I want, how I want, and uh, it's 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 a life changer. And I try to uh, spread that to everyone I know. Um, I I dabbled in a little bit of um, uh, CrossFit for a while, and I really enjoyed that. But it was just really expensive, and raising kids and stuff, I really just couldn't afford it. So I just, you know, do my own workouts and stuff. But I learned a lot mm-hmm. of, about mobility in that gym for a while, yeah. and, and uh, um, you know, I couldn't even get into the squat position, uh, which most Americans mm-hmm. can't. And it's amazing to to be able to uh, do that now. I mean, just little little uh, steps like that uh, have made a, a life change in my uh the, the yep. way i interact yep well these are the things you know and and i'm glad to hear that you've been through this and i'm not just talking you know to people that just don't want to hear about food or how mobility and exercise are so fundamental in our aging process and aging well so you're already like twenty thousand steps ahead of where you'd been in 10 years if you waited to do that and i'm assuming james you're in your 30s yeah i'm 39 Okay, so we're in the same demographic. This is where it gets important because our food really affects our hormones. And if you eat a lot of dairy, a lot of wheat, corn, highly inflammatory foods, right now, as we age, you know, that's only going to exacerbate every problem you have. So it will be harder to get in the squat, harder to pick up your kids, harder to recover from big hikes coming downhill from here on out. But nutritionally, you can combat that. You know, there's all kinds of herbs and spices, the food with good healthy fats in it. You know, I eat a very high fat diet. I almost eat probably 70, 80% of my diet from fat. I like to do ketogenic where I don't even eat carbs for weeks or months on, on end because of the mental clarity and the amount of leanness you can hold. Like I didn't even eat till almost tonight, five o'clock. I just fasted all day and worked out and worked and I have limitless energy. Once my so, body starts burning fat like this. So that's kind of like yeah. a, a buzzword right now. I'm hearing all around uh, ketogenic, the keto diet. And I kind of grasp it, but okay. I, I don't quite understand it. Can you give us a little lowdown on, on uh, you yeah. know, what you're consuming and how that works? Yeah, that's great. That's a really good question. Ketogenic is nothing more than a fat-based diet. Honestly, you're eating most of your calories from fat. Obviously, fat has the most energy. We've heard this before, um, and it really helps stabilize insulin levels. You don't have these insulin spikes if you're eating a high-carbohydrate diet. So a day for me is, as Andy uh, liked, uh, I know for sure, with my Bulletproof or my <laughs> fat-based coffee. But I've, I've bumped my coffee up. Well, my wife is always into this, too. So we've bumped it up. We actually put collagen protein in our coffee, which is really good for your joints. Um, your skin and all that stuff, and it goes right into coffee. It doesn't make it taste any different. So we put a collagen protein, a scoop in, a cup of coffee. I put MCT oil, which is a fat, uh, medium-chain triglyceride oil in my coffee. 
and then a bunch of grass-fed butter, which I seem to do well with, but you could skip that if you're uh, dairy sensitive. And I'm, I'm, put, I'm also um, caffeine sensitive. Yeah. Oh, then you could do this with tea or anything, any okay. warm drink. I'm just describing okay. my, my sure. day right now. And then I, I put a turmeric turmeric creamer, and it's made by the surfer Laird Hamilton, and that's great for inflammation. Oh, so yeah, right okay. out of the get-go, my day, I'm doing putting my body into fat burning. I'm giving it some protein for rebuilding. I'm putting an anti-inflammatory in my body. That's a total natural herb. It's great for your brain. It's anti-cancer. I mean, the list goes on. Look it up. Um, that's what I usually drink for the beginning part of the day. And then the other trick to this for me is using a keto, uh, keto base, which is a supplement that is uh, made by Perfect Keto. And this stuff kicks your body right into fat burning or burning ketones for people. So you don't have to go three, four days without carbohydrates to get into ketosis anymore. You can just take a supplement, this keto base or perfect keto fuel. And with that coffee, which is straight fat and a little protein and this keto fuel, you have plenty of energy enough to work out, do your chores. Once your body shifts into ketosis, which is obviously why the, diet called the ketogenic diet so you're learning to burn ketones or broken down fat and once you do that your body just says hey this is a sweet source might as well pull some off the body when i don't have any available and you know what within a month you will see yourself leaning out like crazy and you don't have to exercise like mad you just have to stick on it and you know your basic meals like tonight or yesterday night was my big meal was broccoli uh, butter olive oil three elk burgers, two eggs, and then I ate a bunch of almond butter. And that's like well, that's that, like my real food for a meal. Yeah, that's like all my favorite things to eat right there. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you're ready for ketogenic. You just yeah. need to throw, throw down, get the keto fuel. It's really helpful because otherwise ketosis, if you read up on it, can take people one to two to three days to really get into what they'll call like one to two millimolar ketosis where your body's really churning up the fat so am i not uh, that can sorry am am i not getting into ketosis because of the um the fruit and the massive amounts of veggies am i eat am i is it because i'm eating too much fruit and vegetables um to 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 get into ketosis yeah well fruit for sure is it's good for you i mean it has all these antioxidants and and stuff like that but you can get a lot of the same benefits from other food sources that don't have the sugar, the fructose, and the carbohydrates. Right. Um, if you want to really see body comp change and have this kind of brain power, um, the fat-based ketogenic diet, which we basically evolved off, you know, for part of our existence, our bodies love being in it. And you know what? All those things, cholesterol, all those things, goes, they totally neutralize. I've had tons of clients actually have their doctors just not believe after their blood work that they're eating a diet like this and their, their blood works improving. You know, they just, they assume that they're on a low fat diet or they're exercising more. And you know what? My exercise with them is generally physical therapy. It's balancing out their core, their weak spots, and then they're eating, you know, way better, healthier fats, clean proteins, and really limiting their carbs and their fruits. Like a cheat meal for me was with Bob. I had spaghetti squash. I was so stoked to have spaghetti squash. (laughs) And one night I had rice, 
that was like the wildest I've eaten in like six or eight weeks in hunting season, you know, since I stopped guiding in September. So, so anyway. So you're going to, yeah. yeah, so I do eat the spaghetti squash and I, you know, for, for me, a cheat would be the rice, which is not very often. Um, so how much are you cutting out the, the greens, you know, the broccoli, the kale, the asparagus, like how often is I, that? Yeah. I'd say that's unlimited. I think that the vegetable is where you end up getting all the vitamins and minerals and the fat and the vegetable together. That's like the magic. That's like the sinew and the hide glue. You know, those two just work perfectly together. That, that's um, what in my that's realm what I, right now. Yeah, that's what I crave. I crave the avocados and the olive oil mm-hmm. and the and the you know the meat and stuff. Now that I'm you know not, I used to eat donuts and and candy <laughs> every day, and I used to eat uh, you know fast food and all the poison. I was just I was pumping that beer. I used to drink beer every day, um, and I, mm-hmm. I uh, you know it's just it's a it's a relationship you have with food. But and, but that keeps. Yeah. That ketosis diet—that's for. I mean, you're only eating basically besides your coffee and your keto fuel in the midday or whatever. You're just eating at night, so your body the rest of the day is fasting or like eating you know, that fat, right? Yeah, and you're you just hit a really good point. When you eat this much fat and moderate protein, it's not a protein diet; it's a fat diet. Let's be clear: if you eat too much protein, protein is easily converted to a sugar really, and your body will kind of come out of ketosis if you're eating too much protein. You don't only need to eat. You only find you're hungry twice a day at most. Like, in most days, I'm really not that hungry. I may just eat, like, today a handful of walnuts, uh, like, as I'm driving home, and then I had dinner, you know. But it's really, you're not craving food like when you were eating a carbohydrate-based diet where you have to eat four or five, six times a day, you know. It's a totally different energy system. And it's a really great energy system for a hunter. And that's why I think this is cool is because we're going to be mostly targeting hunters and people who are, you know, in the outdoors. And guess what's better than eating less than eating three times a day is two times a day. And guess what's better (laughs) than that? One time a day. Drink coffee in the morning. I'd go out and hunt with you guys all day whitetail hunting. I'd just drink water and drink a lot of water, Um, you know, 50, 60 ounces while I was out hunting and come down and we had dinner going at 5 6 p.m and that was it for the day and you know what i never ran out of energy the whole time yeah that's amazing i i follow that uh dr Rhonda pot patrick Do you, are you familiar okay. with her i don't probably her, not yeah. her <laughs> he yeah, has to drive she, to the internet <laughs> right she she she's uh been on a she's got a podcast and she's uh She's right on the same exact, uh, uh, you know, she's saying the same stuff. She's a, um, some kind of like, uh, doctor physician that's all, uh, mm-hmm. ketogenic, uh, paleo. And she talks about some just really interesting stuff about, uh, time fasting, you know, only keeping your calorie intake from that moment you drink coffee to that last meal. That if you can shrink that window, the more you shrink it, the more you benefit, and uh, not just uh, in everything, even even your um, endurance. If you can have like a nine-hour window, ten-hour window of uh, calorie intake, um, it's been proven yeah. uh, in, in the lab on 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 mice and then on people that uh, it's it, it's beneficial no matter what you're 
um, you're intaking, and then you you start eating clinger and and you start getting more and more gains from that. Because I think the average American has like a 16 hour window of calorie intake. Hmm. See, and that's with intermittent fasting. We start people at 16 hours without food. Right. You know, and and I do even. I think I do less than that. My my calorie windows generally like six hours a day where I'm actually going to eat. Maybe I get home at three or four and I might eat till 10 and I just eat in that window. And then the rest of the time it's the coffee or maybe a snack here or there. Like I might take in some branch chain amino acids when I'm working out just to prevent some muscle breakdown. Um, but I generally do it with just that keto fuel, which gives you the fat, the ketone body. So you have that energy for your brain and for your muscles to do work water and some amino acids and you can go a long ways without chewing you know which is pretty cool i think because i'm i'm usually busy doing other stuff than sitting down and prepping 12 meals a day you know to, yeah you're, uh, you're not looking for really roadkill yeah you got to be ready when you're looking for roadkill <laughs> you're crossing the sides and freaking so, <laughs> you all the time and making dog treats you don't have time to be prepping rice and potatoes yeah, and all exactly. these meals all day so okay uh, so so the keto thing that's awesome Pretty complicated yeah. though yep. for the average, yeah. you know, trad bow hunter to start with. So let's <laughs> let's maybe just start with a good starting yeah. point for a guy who's eating donuts every day and and he's feeling sore and he's getting you know he, he's kind of there. He's he needs to do something. Yeah. Where's the best start? Is that the paleo or what? What do you recommend? Yep, yep. I liked uh, what actually happened to me is and this quick story is I ate a really sugary dessert and I don't know if it was on my wife's birthday or her dad's birthday. I was up all night with the sweats, like <laughs> sicker the dog and I sleep awesome. So this is rare for me. And I woke up the next day and I'm like, I got to change something. I'm tired of being big, you know, and being a lifter. I'm going to narrow this down. Why am I feeling so bad? Well, we found this Mark's daily apple, um, the primal blueprint it's called. It's like one of the original paleo websites. Yep. Um, great resource, very basic. I mean, this stuff is, you could teach it to third graders. It's awesome. You know, it's basically cut out sugar, drink more water, eat real food. And then they give you the recipes and the list and you pick out what you kind of like and you start with that. And that's honestly where I started maybe a decade ago with a paleo style diet. And that's where I would direct most people to go and start just with one habit. I think it's getting rid of sugar and sugar is processed sugar, white sugar, candy, sugar in your coffee, you know, dessert, eliminate it. Because if you dabble in it, it'll wreck you. It's yeah. a drug. It's toxic. It's not going to improve your health and longevity. It feeds every bad thing on the planet. It should be banned. But it's going to be around because people like it. So I'll eliminate that and drink more water and start reading about paleo. And I bet most people within three to six months could be 50 to 60% healthier than they are at the moment they start easily. It happens quickly. So. Absolutely. I mean, you, you'll probably be losing... Uh, if you're overweight, like most, uh, you know, a, a lot of Americans are, you'd be dropping two, three pounds a week. Um, I tell people like, uh, like Benji's saying, like I try to drink a gallon of water, which is you're just carrying water around, keeping yourself uh, hydrated. And when you go into the grocery store, I mean, the produce department, the meat department, grab some eggs and some nuts, and that's it. That all, everything else, the whole, all those aisles full of bags and boxes, don't buy it. 
don't don't get mm-hmm. it. You don't need it. Um, and it's it's a relationship that you have with these things. You're going to say you can't do that or you can't go without, but you, listen to yourself. You, you're going to sound like a crack addict. You can, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, eat. Eat meat yep. and vegetables. Eat eggs. Uh, you can still have some bacon and have an apple and some blueberries yep. and eat some almonds. And it's not really a diet either. You don't have to restrict no. how much no. of it you're eating. You just eat till you're full. That's what I think the biggest yeah. misconception with people that haven't looked into it is, mm-hmm. you know, they think they have to starve to death and you can eat all you want. Yeah. Eat uh, big Spanish totally, salads. Totally and... correct. Okay. And, so yeah. now. Yeah. And eat till eat satiety or whatever that word is, you know, yeah. like you till you're satiated, you should feel good. Most people's relationship with food on any other diet, you know, is they're always counting calories and how much fat does that have? Don't you have a life? Who cares? <laughs> you can, eat you can food go, and you eat as much as you want. You I, I mean, go, I, I don't see what the problem is. You can go to a restaurant with your friends and family and ask them to bring you out some meat and some vegetables. They'll do it. They'll say, well, what about rice or potatoes? So no, just double the vegetables, please. Just eat vegetables, exactly. eat yep. meat. You're going to be happy. Your stomach's going to be happy. Your body's going to love yourself. Like double up on the vegetables and eat your meat. And, and you'll you feel am- amazing. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Well, that's, that's great. And, and like you guys said, this, the audience that you're usually trying to talk to that hasn't really dealt with diet and stuff, you've got to keep it simple. Um, and, and what you're saying is totally correct. And you cannot be afraid of good fat. Um, most people still think fat is the enemy. I guarantee you that is not true. Salmon, you know, eat the skin. Get as much fat in you as you can. Your joints will thank you. Your brain will thank you. Yeah. Coconut oil, olive oil, avocado oil, you know, grass-fed butter if you're going to use it. Avocado a day is every not day. even a, out of the question. Every day. Every, every day. So I that's, am, I, that would I be, even... it's, yeah. That's my candy. That's my donut. That avocado. I'm looking forward to oh. that thing every day. Uh, I, I put my yeah. salmon on a broiling pan and I douse it with olive oil and um, broil oh, it up. Me. Yeah, you know that's and then with a bunch of broccoli or some kale and I mean it's awesome and you, yeah. you're bought, you'll soon yeah. you will look forward to it the same way you looked forward to a Big Mac or whatever it was that you used to be obsessed with that relationship you had with whatever the bad foods you're eating, you're going to think, God, I can't wait to have, uh, you know, some mm-hmm. salmon and an avocado today. And it, it's, uh, it just takes time. It's a, ch- it's a different uh, mindset and you yeah. will feel so much better. Uh, it's, it, yep. it's unbelievable, uh, for sure. But this keto thing, I know it's complicated, but I'm going to be calling you after this and picking your brain some yeah. more. Cause I kind of want to, yeah, I think I, I think I'm going to try yeah. that one too. Yeah. yeah. That's a good uh, one. Okay, I so now it's a lot of hard. It, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Now Sorry. that we got everybody eating healthy, and I know you guys are totally geeking out and getting excited about avocados yeah. and salmon, but let's talk a little bit about exercise. Now that everybody's going to eat clean, good food, what is? And I struggle it, it, with this too because I, you know, I kind of it's part of my job, and we get a lot of guys that lift, and we get a lot of guys that just cram cardio, run, run, run. Of course, the CrossFit stuff and circuits. And I've had, you know, bad torn labrum, bad shoulders. You know, I got a few injuries from my younger years that I always wonder as I'm cranking out running on the treadmill, you know, like, is this good for me? You know, is this actually good for me 
20 years from now because that's the only reason I exercise, you know, like I think probably you guys, I, I want to feel good and I want to be hunting mm-hmm. when I'm 80. Like you said, I want to be on the top Me of that too. mountain. And so I always struggle. Should I be doing CrossFit? Cause I did it for a few years too. And I felt great while I was doing it. Um, but then I got to think, you know, like I, Am I going to have just be hammered when I'm 80, you know, not be able to walk because I'm getting up in the morning and deadlifting 460 pounds before work, you know, like, I don't know. So talk to me, Benji, what should we be doing to keep, keep climbing those mountains? Well, um, what you said is totally accurate. I've lifted the the heaviest weights my body is going to be capable of in this lifetime in my twenties and low thirties. And I don't think I've, it's totally, I haven't paid for it because I switched at an early enough age to realize that it's not always about doing more. It's more about being consistent and having the discipline to get up day in and day out and do the little things. It doesn't have to be, you don't have to run a marathon every month. You don't have to bench more than the next guy. You need to apply exercise, just like we talked about with, with diet, to what your goals are. And that's what we talk about a lot in the gym is I have a diverse clientele. It's not always about competing you know and at the end of the day most of the guys listening to this and gals are going to want to be able to shoot bows i assume right yeah for a lifetime and be able to climb up and down hills my wife and i discussed the same thing i think the best tool is what i gave andy for his christmas present a foam (laughs) roller made out of a log yeah (laughs) that is in itself it starts with mobility because exercise is only as good as your weakest link and if you have really tight IT bands, really tight back. You can't be helping you a ton other than doing it as a mobility drill. So we got to look at moving correctly first. The second part of that being core stability. Uh, I just did a big seminar down in California where I just had my mind blown with these massive lifters. Going back to the most remedial stuff in addressing core position, stability from all sides. And this isn't just doing sit-ups. It's doing all kinds of planks, all kinds of bracing drills, learning to actually inflate your lower abdomen and pressurize your midsection with your diaphragm so that you can lift correctly, come down a hill correctly, pick up your kids correctly, load an elk quarter correctly, and walk out of the woods in one piece and do it time and time again. So there's a lot of mechanical stuff that we're adding into our workouts now. It's not just do 500 squats, do 500 push-ups, and you should be awesome. You know, it's actually going back to quality control and doing everything correctly. And I didn't always do this. I'm not saying I did, but lately I've been really training every day, always a little bit and doing it absolutely correctly and to an intensity level that feels right for the day. Some days it's to complete exhaustion. Other days it's just to like a 60, 70% max. Like when I was hunting with these guys in uh, Northern Idaho, I would do some squats and stuff to maintain my function, some push-ups in between uh, ambushes, and just keep my body moving. And I think that's, for the general population, the best advice I could give is to try and seek out what movements you struggle with. Um, A lot of people can't do simple band pull-aparts where you take a band in front of you, arms straight out, and tear it apart, you know, using your scapula and your upper back. I think for a bow hunter... I would be doing those five days a week and I do those five days a week and rotator cuff. If yeah. you're in, unstable in those shoulders and you shoot a recurve for 30, 40 years, you're going to end up with some serious issues in one or the other elbows or shoulders or some part of that structure. 
Um, so we've got to really look at this as an investment like we do the nutrition. And the simple basic stuff can't be overlooked. I mean, I don't think bench pressing or squatting per se is going to be miraculous to anyone who can't do it correctly. So I think you have to go back, find somebody who knows what they're doing, and there's a lot of good resources out there um, on online, and learn how to squat, how to do lunges, how to do rows. Um, those great straps, those TRX straps you can hook into any doorway or just hang a rope over a branch and lean back like your water skiing and do rows with really good body position and really strengthen your upper back will help for a lifetime of shooting bows and loading elk meat and, you know, getting out of bed without pain. I just don't see how people can just shoot a bow ice cold for 30 or 40 or 50 years and not suffer some sort of strains and, and tears and pulls. So, um, I know I didn't really sum no, it up to anything other than that's good. That's well, good advice. Man, get, that's perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. So, so, okay. you know, okay. basically yeah. we, we need to learn proper form. Uh, mobility yeah. is super important and, uh, yeah. and, you know, also just getting, uh, like you said, not always taking yourself a hundred percent, uh, into exhaustion, but finding that, uh, that level and sometimes pushing yourself to that, uh, to that point um, is, is beneficial is basically what I took from that. Yeah, that's great. Correct. And I think that for the long-term model, especially for somebody who isn't gym savvy, there's some of us who love the gym um, and are going to push ourselves harder and that's fine. But for the most people out there, they just need to start learning to do some planks, some air squats, some side planks to learn how to stabilize that core on the sides, those obliques and lats. And some form of rowing or pull-up variation and some pull-ups for upper back. And, uh, you know, if you want to, push-ups and overhead presses. Kettlebells are great. Dumbbells will work. I do handstand push-ups all the time. And that's great just to get inverted for your body and, and just work on that stability upside down. But it doesn't, you don't have to sign up to a gym. You don't have to go to CrossFit. You don't have to puke. You don't have to train as hard as you can. In general, you can spend probably an hour to an hour and a half a week total on exercise outside of hiking, hunting, shed hunting, putting up stands, all the stuff scouting we love to do and benefit massively. You don't need to spend your life in the gym to go outside and kill it. So that's what I'm finding out in my forties. That's awesome. Yeah, man. That, that is super awesome. Yeah. I, my experience in the CrossFit gym three days a week was amazing in the beginning because as they were teaching you and you know but it got to a point where it was the particular box i was going to it was like all the the intro stuff was awesome and the media you know in the middle was awesome but then it got so competitive and and uh there was just so much going on that it became like it was like is this a hobby no i have other hobbies like this isn't my hobby and so i kind of just took what i what i learned from there and you know apply it and and I, I do kind of miss that structure, though. So, um, yeah. you know, you're, yeah, you're, I'm getting excited. I, I think we're going to have to have you on more than two or three times. <laughs> uh, well, I'd love to. I, I'm I'm really into this. I live this every day. Every you know, it's either hunting or lifting or nutrition is is uh, the concrete of the whole thing. I I barely ever cheat. I had some cheesecake paleo for my birthday. My wife made that was you know dairy but it was no sugar in it and then my worst cheat lately was with bob he made me eat that cougar stew and there was definitely white potatoes in there so 
I don't know if I'm going to survive. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, that's that's awesome, awesome, man. It's getting me, definitely well, getting me inspired for sure. Awesome. Yeah, well, we'll, 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 we'll leave it at that for now. And, and, uh, if you guys, uh, are enjoying the, this talk on, uh, on uh, nutrition and fitness, uh, you know, let us know and, and we'll definitely, uh, dive in, in deeper on, on another episode, but let's, uh, let's get back into the bow hunting and, and talk about these goats of yours. Oh yeah. These things are awesome, man. I've, uh, I've been using them in Colorado with my buddy, uh, small, he was in the last, that post where everyone was, they, all the goats were chewing. That's my buddy, Ryan. That, so, so married my wife and I hang that on, hang bad. on for a second. Let's, uh, let's, Maybe for the guys that don't know, Benji is also yeah. a pack goat fiend. So he's got a bunch of pack goats on Instagram. He's Idaho Goat Pro. If you guys want to check out his video, him laying around eating with the goats and stuff. But he's <laughs> he's as, he's as nutty about the goats as he is about nutrition. So we're gonna we're gonna talk a little <laughs> bit about that. So let, yeah, so let's and, get into the and, goats. And uh, Benji, that was me asking if I can join the tribe. <laughs> Yeah, I knew that. Yeah, <laughs> you're welcome to. You know, we we have a good time. Let me let me state by saying the goats are like what we call levity. I mean, it lightens everything. We take hunting seriously. We go hard and all this. We spend all year getting in shape, but they just have the best time jumping around, playing. I mean, it just makes life better. Um, that's why we have them on the property. That's why we bought our own. We wanted property where we could raise these things. And I was just out with them this evening, and they were just. Again, I mean, entertaining the heck out of me out there, getting into their new winter area and mashing heads and just being knuckleheads. So if you like to, you know, not take life too seriously, goats are a great, great way to get into it and low option or an easy option to have a good pack animal. But you got to be invested, just like the nutrition, just like the traditional way. And, you know, it's all kind of related. You know, you get what you put into it. So we, we love our goats. We have seven goats. Um, we bought the last three goats from Goat Pro Idaho in Boise, and they weren't using uh, their goats as much as they wanted to this summer. And I just saw this ad in the late and the gal um, Fleischer, uh, what's her name? Uh, anyway, she she called me and said, "You've asked me all these questions about goats. Her name's Christine. Um, do you have any interest in buying our three goats that we're really not using?" And man, I was like, "God, I I don't know." Well. If you've used pack goats, they're really not ready to go until they're four, and my goats are two. So these goats were seasoned and ready to go, and I bought three more ready-to-go goats from Goat Pro Idaho, which we now own, and so I'm up to seven. And these dudes have absolutely taken the bar up a whole nother level. We got Elvis, the guy with the horns. He is a needy, hilarious, daily face-sniffing goat. He's awesome. Sanook is my huge meat hauler. He's a big Toggenberg. He packed out 86 pounds on the cow elk. I got muzzleloader late season, uh, 43 pounds a side. So they can haul pretty good weight as long as the terrain's pretty, pretty uh, average and not too far. And then the other guy is Beavis. His brother Butthead died. And Beavis <laughs> is the sweetest goat you could ever hope to have. So we really scored with our GoPro Idaho eye. And uh, yeah, now we're, we're renting them out a little bit. Um, and hoping people will get to have some fun with them too. And we've had some great rentals and people really, uh, had fun with them this summer and, uh, this fall hunting. So, so yeah, definitely, definitely go to his Instagram page and watch his latest video of him laying in camp with the goats. I've showed this to like tons of people. I just get a kick out of it. I can't stop watching you guys just hanging with the goats. It's awesome. Oh, uh, 
Well, you get it then. That's, that's it. That's why there's really not much to that. Some people might go, well, he's just sitting there. But that's like the midday. You got five hours to kill. We're shooting bows. We're playing with the goats. We're climbing rocks. You know, they're doing stuff that just keeps you, you just can't help but be a kid. And I think that's well, part of the paleo diet ultimately is just being yeah. happy, having fun outside, you know? And bow hunting, it's like being a little kid again, too. So it all just kind of adds to it. And I've, I've also heard of guys hunting with their goats and an elk comes in screaming, looks over at the goat like, oh, it's just a goat. Like they don't even care one bit about the goat. And the next thing they know, they're, you know, catching an arrow. It's, it's been known to happen. I haven't really had it, anything happen where it was like, oh, this is totally, you know, helping me or giving me an advantage. Um, but you know what? I can tell you that the animals that I saw this summer when I was scouting, I was sitting at some water holes just checking them out. I had a five-by-five five come in and just jump in at 60 yards, roll in the pond and hop back up and look at us. Never winded us and just curiously walked off, never afraid and... One of my uh, renters had a mule deer, a giant buck, he said, in this November rut hunt, come walking right up to the goats, circle him at 10 yards. He was elk hunting and walked right by him at 10 yards, just staring at the goats till they hit his wind and then trotted off, not even really that afraid, just so rutted out. He didn't know what they were. So (laughs) um, I think there's something to be had there, just like walking in the woods with them. It kind of muffles your human monotonous footstep it could be a cover scent i think if you have a buck a ruddy male i think they're pretty stinky and i might pick one up this spring if i'm gonna take this operation to another level we'll see um and and breed some we've talked about that a little bit so we're not sure where we're gonna go yet but i'll tell you what we're we're gonna be into the goats for the next decade and more because life is just better with some clowns around and and keeps you not overthinking life too much fun lots of fun yeah. So what are, what are uh, maybe the benefits over pack goats, over horses or mules? Like what, what have you found better? I mean, that's a great question. Um, real simply, uh, they're real personable and I'm not saying I have never owned horses or llamas or anything else, but they are like dogs and I'm a dog lover. A dog since we moved to Idaho when I was 10 and I've never not had a a lab or now I have a wire hair pointer, but I love them all. So if you like dogs, I think goats are super friendly. They like to be pet. They like to lay down by you. They're, they're super cool, like friendly animals. Um, that's the thing I think that attracted us the most, especially my wife, when she'd come to Colorado, she just loved walking with the goats and hanging out with them and, you know, just having them feeding around you. You just feel like there's some kind of harmony going on that just feels right. So that's our number one thing. The, the, the physical things is they just don't drink any water. So for like a Nevada hunt where I'm going to be going here someday again, there's no water up high. So I know that horse uh, people generally got to get water to their horses somehow, some way, daily or twice daily, something like that. Um, right. And I pretty much go three days without watering the goats. They won't drink until about the third day. And that's pretty consistent. That's not just mine. That's, in the goat community, they, they generally don't drink a lot of water. So um, they're also a little water phobic, meaning they don't love crossing water. So if you're going across a big river, uh, you know, uh, they're going to be a challenge to get across. Um, we had a couple of issues with that this year, but they all got across. It's just a little more challenging to trick them to get across. 
So you kind of, that's a drawback, but I think not having them have to drink all the time is more of an asset to us bow hunters who like to be up high and remote because there's a lot of days where I don't have water, you know, and I don't want to come down because I'm in the right spot and I have wind. So I want to stay up on the ridge and sleep, sleep dry and get water the next day. And they'll carry that water when I get there, three, six, nine, 12 liters, you know, easy on the goats and they can just be your Sherpas that way. Nice. And then food too. You don't have to pack any food. They'll just eat whatever, right? Yeah, totally. That's the most obvious one. Um, I was really concerned with them. Um, I've had them since August, these new ones. And the food changes obviously throughout the season. And we knew a guy was going to be taking them in November for a muzzleloader hunt. So I thoroughly worked them every weekend, every chance I could go hunting and got them in great shape. And you know what? They eat bark, they eat needles, they eat anything like i mean they'll unfortunately elvis will eat your tent your shoes your socks <laughs> you know he's a total pain in the butt but you know what you just got to tie him up when you have your camp set up and he's fine he won't come in but he just wants your attention yeah um, but yeah they don't they don't need any food i hunted on my shot that cow with muzzleloader in like basically end of november there's no food around and they found uh Rose bushes they love. They ate the you know the the bark off a couple of trees, but they're not so harsh on the land that they're you know destroying the trail, slash leaving a lot of mess. Um, and their tracks look like deer, so you just you don't even look like you've been there, which is really cool. Yeah, it sounds yeah. awesome, man. I've been tempted a few times, just never pulled the trigger. So, do you do you take them yeah. with you on your hunts, or do you leave them tied back at camp? Well, with our predator situation, I'm just leery, and I'll give you one quick story. We went into a draw uh, this year, and I've never had this happen with any goats, anytime, anywhere, but my two older goats, Sanook and Elvis, just hit a scent and, like, sketched out in the middle of the night. I was walking in at, like, midnight, and they turned and ran back to the car, and they've never done that. They wouldn't listen to me. They wouldn't come to food. <laughs> they were just freaked out. So I didn't fight it. I was like, okay, maybe something happened I didn't see. We slept at the car. Got up in the morning, got halfway out to where I was going to go hunting. They turned and ran out on me again. So I was pretty frustrated and a little, you know, a little upset with the whole thing. So I, I, I let it go. Well, guess what? I came back to that canyon a week later. It snowed. I saw a pack of wolves tracks, two different bear tracks and lion tracks right where I had been trying to go through. And that canyon was catered. It just was full of predators. Yeah. And there was no elk talking. There was no sign of game as soon as I got in there. Everything had been pushed out, and I'm convinced that there's either a lion den or a bear spot or a kill, and they could smell that, that predation around. So that had them pretty freaked out. So For sure. back to the point, when I hunt with them, I, let them, I hunt with them right up until like I'm about to get into something. And with my muzzleloader, they were behind me uh, you know, until the elk were at you know, 150 yards. At that point, I realized it was going to be a, a good hunt, and the wind was right, and I tied him up to some trees and some sagebrush, and I slid in for the evening hunt. And other times, we get to where we're going to drop camp. We put up a high line. Some people like a low line, and we'll make sure they have plenty of food and they don't get tangled, and we'll go out for the afternoon hunt or the morning hunt and come back and check on them, leaving lots of human scent around and stuff like that. But I generally like having them with me and have their leads with me. And if we get into game, I can just back it up a little bit or a bugling bull or see a nice buck and tie them up and, and head out for, you know, four to six hours. I've left them on their own as I've gone in and, you know, they've, 
they just chill out and eat and lay down. So they're, they're pretty low management and, and really nice when something hits the ground for sure. Oh, that's awesome. Very fun. Heck yeah, man. It sounds, you guys got to come, you guys can come rent a few next year. Cause I'll have more, <laughs> yeah. more for rent, but nice. um, yeah, that, that would be a cool deal just to take a bunch of guys out. And, and I do guide with them. I'm, I'm set to outfit with them for two weeks, September 8th to the 23rd I've, I've allocated my days for Sun Valley Outfitters. I'll be the only goat packer in the, in the operation. I'll, we'll take clients for two weeks with the goats and just chase elk and mule deer. So that'll be pretty fun. Heck yeah, man. That's awesome. So speaking of elk and deer, you yeah. got to, before we get off here, we got to, I got to hear your story. Yeah. You got to tell everybody, I guess we can start with sure. your, uh, your elk story. The one you told Carson about your arrow. So yeah, maybe you can tell. This is un, oh, an unbelievable yeah, story. Yeah. yeah, it's it's not believable, but but uh, at least tell it anyways. It's totally not. <laughs> okay, so I meet up with all these these brothers of the bow, and we're telling lies and stuff. And and I find out that Carson uh, is the Sherwood shaft guy now. So only shaft I have in my car that is still uh, you know a, whatever a, a dowel or whatever is a Sherwood shaft. Doug fur that I shot through an elk this season before. So I've been hunting primitive two years and I was just starving. We were like eating roadkill and <laughs> scrapping it out and begging for meat. And I was trying not to buy any. Well, I finally just put it down after I came to three quarter drawn a nice, one of the biggest bulls I've ever been within 12 yards of and didn't let it fly. I just froze. I should have pulled through and let it get ripped and I didn't. So I was a little discouraged. I grabbed my last longbow and earth archery longbow I've had since I was 20 I just shoot it good and loaded it up and went elk hunting. Well, second day out, I know a little wallow where they like to come through and uh, bulls were bugling right above it. So I slipped into the wallow and sure enough, this big old spike just comes jogging down to get a drink. I'm just standing there broadside, he's perfect, nine yards away, 10 yards. And he puts his head down to drink and pull back, settle in, pick a spot and let it rip. Well, I didn't even see a hair flick I don't remember. I was so out of my mind in the subconscious. I don't remember what happened except the bull runs off and I'm standing there going, man, did I just totally miss or did I just hit that thing? I don't even know where the arrow went. I didn't see a fletching. I didn't see my knock. About that time, the bull stops and looks back towards me in the wallow and I hear this like noise of something dropping out of the sky through the trees like a tick, 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 pop, 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 boom to the ground. My arrow falls in front of me, rod head facing me, feathers dripping with bright red blood, five feet in front of me. And I look at the arrow and I realize that's the arrow I just shot. And it's in one piece. And that elk just flips over and cartwheels down the hill. So this is within 10 seconds. And what had Wait. happened is I shot through that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Real story. <laughs> Wait, re rewind. I blew it was a 10 yard yeah. shot. Yeah. And you shot, shot through the and elk. I'm on a side hill. Yeah, and there's and a, there's a I'm on a side hill, so there's brush behind me, behind the elk. Yeah, and, and so it blew through the elk, and then it uh, deflected and did a boomerang and came back to you. It went straight up, as all I could figure. Came straight back down, landed facing me, right in front of me, between where I shot. It directly came back at me, straight back. So went straight up in the sky, came back, landed. It is still perfectly straight. I can still shoot it today. 
I did not clean it. I just wiped off a little blood and stuck it back in my quiver. It's razor sharp. I didn't hit a rib. Nothing. Perfect arrow. Still. <laughs> Elk tipped over, double lung hit, no ribs. And I have that arrow still. So I don't know how that can happen. Maybe a physicist out there could explain it, but I think it's well, a one in Brazilian. Well, I, 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 I don't have a story quite like that, but I did shoot at a bull and miss him. I hit some black huckleberry between me and the bull. And I watched my arrow when it hit, it ramped and it just started going straight. It didn't come back at me, but it went straight up in the air and took off down out into this canyon. So I guess I could see how it could go through and then hit something and then, I guess, come back at you. Yeah. Those are good arrows. That's what we were joking about at camp. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there was no foreshaft. There was no sinew wrapping behind there. I mean, generally, I'd think some would hit and break that that head off if it hit the rock or something on the other side. I have never seen a judo point ever deflect, go up and come right back to you. So I don't know what happened, but it happened. And uh, I don't know what to make of it other than it was a really nice shot and a really tasty big old spike. So That's awesome. That's a great story. I love it. Yeah, that's good stuff. Yeah, that was a good one. Heck yeah. Uh, what, what broadhead were you, were you running? I'm just curious. Yeah, I was running one of those single bevel uh, Aboyer uh, brown bears. I okay. like those. Okay, awesome. So, yeah, it was yeah. a single bevel deal. And, and man, they for the elk I've shot in the chest, they, they go down quick and it makes a heck of a wound channel. I, I can't ever argue with one of those. Those, yeah, those are the grizzlies. I like both of those if I'm shooting metal heads. Yeah, yeah, I'm a single, single bevel uh, Sherwood shaft guy myself. Yeah, I think that setup is bomber. And now... I've been wrapping the back of some of those shafts because of my sinew now. I wrap them and, and make them a little bit more bomb-proof by wrapping sinew and putting some hide glue behind the, the broadhead and just beefing up that area so it won't break ever right. or break yeah. it easily. Yeah, uh, yeah. Whatever like, that's called, like a car- collar or something. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be like a foot it, footing it with sinew. Yeah, and I think that helps because that's what I do with my stone points, and they – most all of them take quite a hit and they don't have a break right there. I, I like, I like that. First. Yeah. yeah I, I, know, I know like the, like the carbon guys put an aluminum arrow there at the back. Mm-hmm. To, uh, so it's just, you're just sinew wrapping the, the uh, footing it essentially with a uh, sinew. That's, uh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So pull out some back straps in you rinse it, clean it, chew it up, wrap it on there and then just get some hide glue and, smooth that all on there and then you have a footing and that sinew will just cinch down and compress right there and i think it'll make it stronger i i haven't really tested it but i think that's a pretty good idea a little little kind of invention i've stolen from my primitive learnings and then yeah. added to you know a metal broadhead and a wood shaft so it's worth trying i think i'll subscribe to it <laughs> i think it, i think it'd work Let's see what happens yeah yeah, yeah um, i'm going i'm going uh, I'm going to Carson's here in about three weeks to build my first self bow. I'm getting pretty excited. Oh man, that's going to be awesome. Yeah. I'm going to look forward to seeing what you come up with and how that whole thing goes. I hope you do a, a podcast on that because it's sure fun, man. When you get done with that, that piece of wood and it's shooting, you're going to be excited. Oh yeah. Carson's a good friend of mine. And he told me, he was like, uh, I can already tell you're, you're in for it. You're going to be sick with it. It's all over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you, if you like being creative and crafting your own stuff, it's uh, it's it's a great passion. I got three bows leaning on the wall here right now, and all of them are in different stages of progressions, and I I never know which one I want to work more. So 
That's awesome. So uh, are you, you you like uh, hunting all the game? Is there a species you prefer going after or just after? Man, the I think I'm just an addict of adventure. Yeah, me too. Me too. I can't honestly say I love hearing like Marv stories about the big mule deers. I want, I'm going to get a tag in Colorado this year. So um, my buddy Ryan, who lives down there, we'll be packing the goats in for two weeks, chasing big mule deer when that opens up in August. I know I got enough preference to draw where he's at. I'm excited for that, but I'm excited for spring bear. I'm excited for turkeys. I'm excited for coyotes, you know, whatever. <laughs> I want to make a bat quiver out on I don't doesn't matter to me. I'm whatever we can get outside and you know get exercise and see the sunrise and set and carry whatever traditional gear that makes it challenging for us. I'm in. You know, I, I want to go do blacktails on Sitka or one of those islands, Powie someday. I mean, I have so many adventures. I just hope I get to stay healthy and live long enough to to go do all these things and have some good laughs with some some good dudes. Yeah, yeah. man, that's awesome. I think that and it all comes down to. Uh, nutrition i mean it really does uh i'm glad you heard me because i'm not kidding i'm not just saying that i I get no kickbacks but all these dreams based off my health and if i'm sick i can't do any of these things i can't share these memories of whitetail camp with these guys i would have never met bob if i was sick you know i might not be on this podcast podcast i was sick so i think if you can't consider your nutrition and your health the number one priority Bow hunting is just a, a facade. You're going to have health problems at some point, not yeah, able to I shoot mean, those at some point. Yeah. So I think we're backing it up to try and help people realize that bow hunting is health and you get to enjoy bow hunting if you can climb your tree stand and get out of your tree stand and harvest your game and feel good enough to enjoy your life. So. Yeah. I mean, the chances are, you I mean, we were all, it's guaranteed we're all going to die, but cancer is probably what's <laughs> going to get us. Yeah. And these, uh, eating this way, you, you, it's like you're decreasing your chances by like two thirds. Um, and yeah. if you look at the numbers, it's, it's not hard to commit to. No. And we, we have the game. We're already doing all the hard stuff. We love to do the hard stuff. That's why we're traditionalists. We don't mind cutting our own firewood, processing our own game, hunting three months to get a doe. You know, I, that's the happiest moment in the world is when you fill your freezer. So we have all the tools. Now we have to apply it the rest of the year and then add in healthy movement and drink a lot of water. I still think your comment on drinking a lot of water, you don't have to drink a gallon, but I think you should drink at least, you know, half your body weight ish or something, you know, an I, ounces would be a I good just, start. I just take a gallon jug with me and I just try my best to just at work. I work in the woods, so I'm fortunate. And I just try to just every time I think about food or anything i just look at that thing and just t- take a swig take a swig and uh, my boss thinks i'm nuts but i just drink water all day long and I, I man my back problems have gone away uh mm-hmm. you know i grew up skateboarding and bmxing and snowboarding and i've broken most of the bones of my mm-hmm. body and, and i'm kind of paying for it but getting that weight off my body and having better mobility and being hydrated uh it's it's Got a it. game game changer yeah, so I think those are the main points to take out of this um, is don't wait for stuff to happen and don't be a victim of stuff. You know, that's going to happen to all of us. I'm not planning to live forever either, but I want to live and do this stuff as long as I can and be able to do it as hard as I can for as long as I can. And I think that's where we come back to nutrition and, and setting up a very basic disciplined exercise regimen. And it can be all body weight. 
it doesn't even have to be out of your living room. And that's why I bring those kettlebells with me and usually some TRX straps because most of the time I'm on the road in the fall or bringing with the goats, I can always do some TRX and push-ups, some lunges, some basic stretches and some core stability work. And you know what? You don't have to obsess about it. But the nutrition is going to get you sooner than later if you don't address it. So That's yeah, good stuff, and, Benji. Yeah, proact- get proactive now and – and you know yeah. you, you gotta you, you gotta um, you gotta win in the nutrition part. I mean, you can work out all you want, but if you are putting the poison into your body, you're gonna be uh, poisoned. That's just all the way all the way you around. Will. Yeah. Well, and yeah, we want people to get out there and have a good time and share more of these stories and and uh, you know keep this traditional just hunting thing alive. You know, and and being able to stay healthy is a big part of that. So hopefully, people can take some of that home with them and think about it at least think about it you know it's it'll hit us all at different times but hopefully it's not when you're facing a a disease that can take that life and that enjoyment of life away from you um i think it's definitely being proactive and and accountable is the word i like to use we're all accountable for our decisions and every day you get up and if you want to eat junk food you're making those choices if you want to eat a certain style of diet and nutrition it's rewarding to win every day and make those good choices. It's all you. It's empowering. It'll make you a better person, a happier person. So I just hope people can, uh, you know, try and attempt to learn something new and, and try and experiment and be consistent for a little while and don't succumb to the sugar and the, the junk food and the processed food. I just laugh at it. I just see people being average and I just laugh how easy it is to not be average, be better than average. We're yeah, all right. capable of it. Absolutely. Well, hey, do you want? Do you got a a story you can yeah. leave leave with us uh, before we wrap this up about your guys' recent hunt together? Any anything you want to share from that uh, uh, hunt? A little bit, a little piece of something. Well, man, that one, the whitetail hunt. I assume you're talking about. Yeah, the whitetail hunt. Mm-hmm. That. Well, I so, mean, I that I hunt was. That I yeah, I didn't. I didn't get. I didn't get to go on the hunt. So uh, you know, any any little story I can get from the hunt. <laughs> since I'm so jealous of not being there. So yeah, anything would be great. Well, I mean, <laughs> all I know is Carson and I are the only two that didn't get deer, and it wasn't because we didn't shoot our boats. So <laughs> that's kind of, the, and we were pretty close, you know. Like I thought for sure, I had told Clay if Carson gets one after I leave, I'm driving back up there for one more day. I don't care. I'll go up for a seven-hour drive for one more chance. You know, I was determined if we were going to have a hunt where everyone got deer, I wanted to be in on that team. So luckily Carson didn't get one. I didn't have to drive 12 more hours to go back there and hunt. But what was significant, at least besides from meeting everybody and all these good dudes and just the camaraderie we shared in the camp, which was awesome, um, was that I did have my first full stone point, primitive bow, primitive arrow, turkey fletching, sinew off my elk six yard shot at a doe that walked by me. I mean, the closest, I'm not kidding. You guys know this, but when a deer, an animal walks that close to you, I mean, she walked by me at about one bow length and never saw me. And at my heart, I mean, I've been doing this for 20 some years was still pounding out of my chest. I mean, I could have oh, yeah. easily tackled her. I could have yeah. tackled her easier <laughs> than I shot her. And then this is, you know, no trophy hunt, but for me it was, this is the moment I'm going to break this into this stone point primitive world. Here it is. And I just kept my head down and intentions low and swung and drew at the same point as she was walking by me. 
And she turned back to me to look at me and ended up at about six to seven yards broadside, not nervous at all. And as soon as I felt enough tension on that boat, no anchor, just, uh, you know, floating anchor, I let her have it, you know, and I got to say, I hit her right where I was looking, right in the crease. And to my dismay, something failed in my arrow, whether it was the paradox was off, my stone point uh, wasn't mounted right, and these are all things I'm responsible for. Um, but that arrow snapped right at about three, four inches down, a dogwood shaft I made myself, and the feathers <laughs> hit her right in the bum. And she went down and hopped back up, looked at me, and ran down the ridge and started feeding. Well, I thought I penciled her perfect. And I was just sitting there waiting for her to tip over, and I was just so proud of myself that I've just been working so hard and feeling all this great, you know, this energy that I was going to get my first deer and take it back to camp and show all these new guys that I'd done it. She didn't have a drop of blood on the snow. I knocked three hairs out of her side, broke my stone point, broke my arrow. I didn't hurt her one bit. I had just a total arrow failure or a bad release, totally my deal, and I didn't scuff her one bit. She walked off fine after 30 minutes, fed down the ridge. That's my story. It's not the one I want to end on, but I'm still loaded up to go stone point hunting tomorrow for something. I got to get a rabbit. I'm going to get one into something here sooner or later. Yeah, man, I, I told I those love, guys. I love you, man. <laughs> Thanks. I'm not quitting on you. I'm like, I've watched Rudy too many times to give up easy. Yeah. I told those guys that were helping us out up there, uh, they asked couple of them stopped i was on my way out one day and they said hey how's it is that that guy up here that's hunting with stone points like how how is he doing and i said oh he had to go home but man he he had happened for him man he had a shot i, I said but his arrow bounced off and man i've never seen oh, anybody laugh God. so hard <laughs> they lost their mind they were laughing oh. so hard Oh, good. Well, I'm glad somebody somebody benefited, and you know what? I think we all learn from every experience. You know what? I thought I did everything right, but clearly, back to the drawing board, I'm going to River Cane instead of Dogwood. I'm doing more sinew. I'm shooting these arrows more before I mount my stone points. You know, there's just you just got to keep improving and not get discouraged, right? Yeah, that's got to be yeah. the hard part, man. I mean, practicing with those i mean how many hours you have in one arrow and then you break it you know it's like oh man so i i was yeah. bummed i was bummed that i didn't uh, make it out to the whitetail camp but now i'm like really bummed <laughs> like, yeah, i wanted to make sure you really knew what you missed out on because i probably had about i don't know i hunted from august 15th till then for a big game and almost every weekend as my wife can attest and multiple three weeks off in September. I had as much fun in that white tail hunt with those guys and stone point hunting and seeing everybody every night. Then I had the whole season. I wasn't burned out a bit. So um, talk yeah. about an awesome crew and a great adventure. That is a heck of a way to end up hunting, you know, late season killer challenge and great guys. And, you know, couldn't have been happier with the whole season, even though, I ended up just getting a muzzleloader cow to fill the freezer and, you know, back to the stone point for the next well, thing. Well, this is going to air as episode 30 and uh, no offense to uh, the 29 guys before you, but I've never had so much fun on the podcast. So <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> oh, well, thanks for having me. I, I was just tickled when Bob said he wanted to throw me on there because i really do feel like uh you know there's there's so much to this nutrition and exercise i wouldn't be doing it this much if i didn't think so and uh 
sharing it with guys like me that are, enjoy hunting as much as we do and traditional values and making it a challenge. You know, it's just a real honor, guys. So thanks for having me, and I hope I can help out some more and, and love to help mentor some people with anything I can. So Awesome, Benji. Awesome, man. Thank you so much. We look forward to having you on again. All right, guys. You guys have a good evening. Take care. You, you too. Once again, Happy New Year's to you guys. We really appreciate all the support you guys have given the podcast in 2017. We look forward to moving into this new year and this new hunting season with you guys. We plan to bring you a whole bunch more of great, big game, traditional bow hunting, how-tos, adventures from well-known icons of the sport, and we're going to dig up those hard-to-find guys that you've never heard of that have a ton to offer. So please stay tuned in. Tell a friend about the podcast. It helps a lot. Leave us a review on iTunes and Stitcher, Podbean. Subscribe to the podcast there. We're on social media. Check us out on Facebook, Instagram. Keep the wind in your face. Pick a spot and shoot straight.